Hey guys, welcome in to Microcast, a podcast produced by the American Society of Microbiology, Texas Medical Center chapter. We wanted to introduce ourselves as the new co-hosts of this podcast for the upcoming year. We are Hannah Carter and Melissa Martinez. We're both PhD students here in the Texas Medical Center, and we are excited to talk to you today about fungi. Fungi! So today we're going to be talking about fungi or fungus. Coincidentally, that's what my PhD project is about. I study E. coli, so like, I don't know much about fungi. So fungi are kind of difficult to sum up in a sentence, but basically they're eukaryotes like plants and we humans are eukaryotes. But unlike plants and humans, uh, they can exist as single-celled organisms known as yeasts. So yeasts. I know yeast from the kind that we use to brew beer or to make bread rise. If you guys went through the same um, quarantine life in the last couple years that I did, I definitely tried to make a sourdough starter. Oh my gosh. It did not, it did not work at all. So what kind of yeast was I dealing with there? So Um, you were dealing with Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It's completely harmless. It has a very pleasant smell. It does. Um, that's the bread kind smell. Kind of fruity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where the bread smell comes from, from the yeast. So the yeasts are when these are in, like, single cell form, right? Yes. The word yeast refers to fungi in its single cell form. I don't really know all about these other parts of being a fungus. So fungi can also exist as multicellular organisms. They can elongate from spores, elongate into these um, super long filaments called hyphae. So the yeast is when we're talking about it as just like one cell, right? Yes. Okay. But the yeast phase is not present in all fungal species. Oh. Not all fungi start off as yeast and not all fungi finish off their life cycle as the mushroom at the mushroom phase. Some of them begin at spores, some of them stop at the hyphal phase, like candida albicans, which is what I study, and they don't really, they just don't really follow a, like a fixed life cycle. Some go from spore, which is, um, you can probably describe this a little better than me. Yeah, so bacteria make spores. It's a way that they can like hide out and wait till systems are different. They, they take this form that's more sturdy, and then they can hang out and wait until the environment is, like, more friendly more to them. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so a lot of times fungi can go from spores to these super long filaments that we call hyphae. And um, these hyphae can actually fuse together to form mycelia. And mycelia can eventually grow into that traditional mushroom shape that we see. Okay, so they make these filaments called hyphae and then form mycelia. What's a mycelia? So mycelia is kind of like hyphae glue together. Oh. It's just, they just keep building on top of each other, and then that... So the hyphae is like the elongated chains, Mm -hmm. and then the mycelia is like when all those chains link up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And then somehow that makes a mushroom shape? Yeah, so think of the mycelia kind of like the roots of the mushroom. Oh. So eventually, you know, the mushroom will like stem, like stem out of the ground and sprout like the flowering body, which is, you know, the traditional like umbrella mushroom shape. Okay. So the, yeah. So like, I've heard that mushrooms, like if you like go out into a garden and like there's a couple mushrooms popped up 
I guess it'd be the the mycelia then that are what's all of that under the ground mm-hmm. that are like connected to each other. Yeah. And then the little mushrooms that we see is those little fruiting bodies that pop up. Yes, exactly. You know the classic mushroom shape, the tiny umbrellas, the red umbrella with the polka dots. Very cute. Very cute. So some of the ones we're talking about today are not going to be so cute. Um, We work in the medical center, so can we talk about the gross stuff? Fungi can cause disease. Why don't we talk about the fungal pathogen that you work on, um, Candida albicans. Candida albicans is a polymorphic fungi, meaning it can exist in various forms. Candida albicans can exist as yeast, as pseudo-hyphae, which is just fake hyphae, and hyphae. It actually exists in our bodies as a commensal organism. It inhabits our oral cavity, gastrointestinal tract, and urogenital tract. So where do we get it from? Is it something that we can just pick up in the environment? So we most likely acquired it at birth. Like I mentioned, um, Candida albicans is just found all over our bodies. So we probably picked it up from our moms during the birthing process. But Candida albicans is usually a commensal organism, right? So how and why and when does it become a pathogen? So it becomes a problem for the immunocompromised um, or people with medical device implants. Candida albicans should never be found outside its usual habitats within our bodies. It becomes a real problem if it's found in the blood. In healthy individuals, if somehow um, candida manages to um, make it into the bloodstream, the immune cells will quickly come to take care of it. Our macrophages will actually ingest the candida either in high or yeast form and disintegrate it with its reactive oxygen species and enzymes. In a person who is immunocompromised, their immune cells cannot uh, clear out the fungus efficiently, so it starts to accumulate in the blood and travels to other body sites and becomes a really nasty, difficult-to-treat infection. People with device implants or people who have undergone an organ transplant take special medication to keep their immune system from injecting their um, device or organ, and um, this weakens the immune system and it makes it difficult to clear out the candida infection. Additionally, candida albicans presents an interesting problem for people with implants like catheters. Candida actually produces adhesins, which are sticky proteins that allow it to stick to the human tissue. These adhesions allow it to also stick to medical devices, and it can actually form a biofilm, which is a dense layer, like a coat of cells, which is difficult to treat with antifungals because of their structure. In a biofilm, cells are kind of like stacked on top of each other and it's difficult for the antifungal drugs to really penetrate that structure. It's like a like a fort, like a fungal fort. We deal with the same thing with bacteria. Like, I, I didn't know this. Like, my lab works on E. coli, and there's people working on a project on E. coli. It causes a lot of UTIs, and so it can get stuck on catheters and form biofilms. So, like, I didn't realize that yeast could do similar things. I don't know, like maybe yeasts act more similarly to the pathogens I'm familiar with than I realized. How do we get rid of them though? Like we know that there's this huge antibiotic resistance problems with bacteria. What about antifungals? Is there a threat of antifungal resistance, especially with uh, C. albicans that you were just talking about? So to answer your question, is candida albicans resistant to the antifungals we have available to us today? Yes, but also no. So if caught early, a candida albicans infection can actually be cleared with a round of fluconazole. Um, The problem is sometimes candida albicans infections are kind of caught too late, 
um, and the fungal burden within the human body is just so great that it's just difficult to clear entirely. Also, candida never acts alone, so if you have candida albicans in your blood, you probably have other bacteria and fungi floating alongside them. And candida likes hiding out in polymicrobial biofilms and communities, which again renders antifungals ineffective. That's like a whole new, I mean, I guess it's not that new, but it's kind of new in like the field of microbiology is dealing with these polymicrobial infections and how multiple types of bacteria can like play with each other and sometimes make things much worse than if it was just one pathogen acting alone, but can also sometimes make things better. Like your commensal bacteria are battling off your potential bacteria that could be pathogens, and I'm guessing it's kind of the same for fungus. I've read that taking antibiotics can actually cause sometimes candida infections. So the healthy bacteria, the microbiome, can be killed or disrupted with antibiotics, along with the bad bacteria that we're purposely trying to get rid of. That's why we're taking the antibiotic. But when all the healthy bacteria get disrupted and get kind of thrown out of balance, then they can no longer prevent the overgrowth of fungus, and then you have a new fungal problem to deal with. That's absolutely right. Not only do antibiotics increase the risk of developing a particular type of yeast infection, but clearly... Um, would increase the chances of more serious forms of invasive candidiasis. So if you kill off, let's say, candida albicans, um, there's another candida species called candida auris that's actually naturally resistant to a lot of antifungals. Also, there are many other specific environmental situations within your body, especially those combined with a compromised immune system that can set the scene for uncontrolled growth of candida. In an optimal environment, Candida wants to form these hyphae because they're, you know, resistant to antibiotics because of their ability to cluster and adhere to each other and form, like, those dense biofilms that I was talking about. Oh, gotcha. Um, so it's kind of like them holding hands but also fusing oh. together. So it's just multiple cells fusing together, elongating into, like, long strand-like filaments. And it just kind of, you know... There's strength in numbers. And so that's essentially what Candida is trying to accomplish by forming these filaments. They're just trying to, you know, be more resistant and apt to survive. I never realized that yeasts were so sticky. Like, my whole project is on bacterial fimbriae. So the little sticky bits that are trying to grab onto your organs, essentially. Yeah. But I didn't know that yeast could do the same thing. They form biofilms, they grab onto our tissues, and then if they become a problem, we have to figure out how to make them go away. Yeah. All right, so we've talked like a fair bit about um, candida albicans. I'm still struggling with that. Um, can you give us any other examples of infectious fungi? Yes, I definitely can. So we can talk about uh, the fungi falling under the genus Mucor. Um, which I'm just going to refer to as mucormycetes. So these guys kind of look like brownish, blackish fuzz. Um, if you're walking in like a very wooded area and you see like, I don't know, it's like a, it almost looks like cotton, but it's not. Hmm. Um, it's just like this fuzzy mass and it's just kind of growing outside of, or like sprouting outside of like either like animal poop or decaying matter. 
it's spores are everywhere. It's something that we come into contact uh, probably every day. Oh, just as I was thinking, like, now that I know what it looks like, I can avoid it, right? Yeah. But no, no, I don't think you can. <laughs> um, so most mycorrhizae don't tolerate high temperatures. So that makes it really difficult um, for them to inhabit our body and cause like crazy infections. But there are some strains uh, that are tolerant to high temperatures, such as like our average body temperature and if you're immunocompromised or if somehow these guys make it deep into your tissue via like a cut burn or surgery they can cause a super nasty infection Nucor will actually start to replicate on your skin and just grow or in your body and start to chew away at the skin and tissue and cause it to die it's a little bit like leprosy that sounds super painful like i I really don't want that. Yeah, it's not pretty, and it can actually leave you with, like, really bad scarring. It can actually, you know, leave you really disfigured. So it's not something you want to acquire. But luckily, and I just wanted to emphasize this that way, you know, you guys don't leave this podcast spooked out of your minds. Mucor infections are super rare in occurrence. Like, you'd really have to have some serious bad luck to get, like, a tolerant strain, like the ones I was talking about. I mean, that's good news to hear. Versus, like, Canada. Canada. Oh. This is, like... Canada. Canada. <laughs> okay. Versus, like, Canada, which we encounter every day. So what other fun bugs can you tell me about? Okay, I can tell you about this one bug, Cryptococcus neoformans. So Cryptococcus, like Canada albicans, can exist in a yeast or hyphal form. And it's a threat, again, to those who are immunocompromised. Um, so this is a spore-forming fungus. And you can get sick by inhaling its spores. Um, it starts to replicate in your lungs after you've inhaled them and um, eventually travels to other body parts via blood. So this fungi targets the nervous system and can cause meningoencephalitis. So it's like a combination of meningitis and encephalitis. Okay, so... Men, menin, meningi, meninges is like a layer of the brain. Mm-hmm. And then... Encephal, encephal means head, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's like a brain spinal cord inflammation? Yeah, it's um, encephalitis literally means like enlargement of the brain, I think. Ouch. And um, meningitis is, you know, inflammation of the meningia. So it's just like, it's not a fun thing to have. I'm sure it's like very painful and um, just straight up not fun. So don't want that. Mm-hmm. But if someone has it, what do we do to treat it? How do we treat fungal infections? So lucky for us, we do have a good collection of antifungals. It's not as vast as like our collection of antibiotics, but it's a good set nonetheless. So a super common antifungal, it's usually always prescribed for uh, systemic fungal infections is fluconazole, which works by stopping cell wall synthesis. So if you remember from basic cellular biology, when cells divide, they first replicate their chromosomes, their DNA, and move them to the opposite ends of the cell or opposite poles. And as this is happening, the cell wall is elongating, or cell membrane in our case, because human cells do not have cell walls. Um, So the cell wall components are being made up in the cytoplasm and being inserted into the cell wall. So fluconazole-treated fungal cells cannot elongate, so the cells can't properly replicate and they eventually die. I'm assuming that also helps with if you, so like there's a concept in antibiotics of 
um, like instead of bactericidal antibiotics, there's also bacteriostatic. So if you can just stop the bacteria from being able to replicate, that helps the immune system come in and clear out what's there mm-hmm. because it's not like continuing to be a problem. Yeah. So it sounds like that's kind of a similar um, take or a similar approach that's being taken here. Yeah. Also, um, so because the yeast cells can't replicate, um, they're kind of stuck in this like weird phase. So they're still making all these like cellular components. They're just or cell wall components. They're not, they're just not being able to integrate them properly. So they're kind of accumulating in the cytoplasm, and that can be kind of toxic. So if the immune system doesn't get to them first, that will definitely like kill them off. So another um, antifungal that is also commonly prescribed is uh, amphotericin B, which also targets the fungal cell wall, but it works by poking holes in the cell wall. So the fungal cells treated with amphotericin B begin to leak out their contents and start to deflate like a balloon. And, you know, that's not viable. So I also wanted to point out that it's very difficult and challenging to develop antifungal medications or drugs because fungal cells and human cells are very similar. Like they both have cell membranes. They both have, they both encase their DNA in a nucleus. Um, They have similar organelles. So we're really trying to find, or scientists are really trying to discover um, drugs that only target fungi. So um, you have to target major differences between fungal cells and human cells. So a major difference between them is the cell wall. So a lot of these drugs target the cell wall because of that, because that's like the main difference between um, human cells and fungal cells. Gotcha. Because we're all eukaryotes, Mm -hmm. so our cells have similar structure. Right. And I think that's something a lot of people don't realize when you're trying to come up with new drugs, is you have to come up with something that will really only go after the fungi. Right. Or it's going to hurt your own human cells mm-hmm. and you're going to have a lot of side effects. Yeah, exactly. But what about when these drugs don't work, when we have antifungal resistance? So there are um, certain fungal species that are just naturally resistant to antifungals. I think I mentioned this earlier, but Candida auris is resistant to fluconazole. So what we do then is we kind of give it a combination of drugs. Um, so fluconazole become, um, is part of a family of drugs known as azoles. And again, they target the cell wall synthesis mechanism of, the fungo, of fungi, um, but they do so in different ways. So a lot of the times, if you can't treat a fungal infection with fluconazole, um, patients uh, will get like a cocktail of antifungals. Gotcha. And when we create these cocktails, like at least for bacteria, that also helps prevent more resistance from arising because you're coming in with like basically such strong of an attack. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't give the fungal like cells a chance to like survive and then develop a way to create resistance yeah so they're just being attacked from all angles in all different ways and yeah like you said it just doesn't give them time to like generate a resistance mechanism 
I do have questions about your project specifically. Okay. Which, what can you tell me about your project? All right. So I work on Candida albicans, and I also work with this bacteria, gram-positive bacteria, Enterococcus faecalis. And Candida and Enterococcus are isolated from infections together. So, you know, if you go up to, like, a super sick person with some, like, bacterial and fungal infection, polymicrobial infection, and you single out, like, all the, you know, microbes that participate in this polymicrobial infection, Candida and Enterococcus will be, like, I don't know the exact percentage, but they'll be isolated together. So I'm just trying to characterize that relationship. Some studies have reported it's like synergistic, others that it's antagonistic. And I think it's a little bit of both. I think it just depends what environment they're in and what nutrients they have available. Like maybe they compete sometimes for these nutrients and kind of fight each other off. Or maybe there's just an abundance of nutrients so they kind of live in like harmony. So I'm trying to figure out like what the cues are. And I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to, like, exploit those cues to maybe, I don't know, find, like, an antimicrobial peptide that candida secretes to stop enterococcal growth. And I know um, people in my lab have actually found an antimicrobial peptide that enterococcus secretes that actually prevents candida from forming hyphae and, like, dense biofilms. So, basically, I'm just trying to answer the opposite question. What is candida doing to enterococcus that kind of inhibits its growth? I love this. So, like, the way that we came up with antibiotics, antifungals in the first place is, first of all, an accident, right? Yeah. Like, penicillin was not not on purpose, yeah. but that's kind of how the best science happens sometimes. But it's that all of these microbes are competing with one another, so they make very specific things to attack each other so that they can grow better and then we can identify what those are and use them in a way to like control an infection yeah so where are these infections at you mentioned that you can like take them from patient samples Mm -hmm. are these like gi infections are they skin infections is it is it blood infections or is it kind of all of the above It's kind of all of the above, actually. So candida can basically inhabit or attack or infect any body site. We mostly see it in blood. We also see oral thrush that's caused by candida albicans. So that's just like a super dense candida biofilm, like just covering your entire like throat and oral cavity. I know it's really gross. What does it taste like? Don't look at pictures. Like... (laughs) Um, and it actually can obstruct, like, your breathing. Oh, So it's Jake. super, like, especially in babies, it's very dangerous. Aww. Yeah. Candida also is a common cause of UTIs as well. Well, thanks for answering all my questions about fungi. You're welcome. Um, all right. So I'm going to end this episode with a fungal joke. Okay. Why did the mushroom go to the party? I don't know. Because he was a fun guy. Excellent. All right, stay safe out there and don't forget to wash your hands.